and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host, Anne Grepper, and I am joined again by my good friend, Daily Mirror Royal Editor, Russell Myers, as we reflect on the funeral for Prince Philip and how the royal family have remembered him since since we last met, really. Russell, how have you been? I've been all right. How are you, Anne? I'm okay, thank you. I'm okay. So we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It's a few days since we saw the beautiful sunny day in Windsor. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better day to have, you know, soldiers marching up and down the, the long walk on, on parade with their pipes and their drums, the drums shrouded in black and, the, you know, the, the uniforms and that sort of vivid colouring that we're used to seeing from Trooping the Colour and wherever else, but this time with their black armbands, the drums covered and, you know, so many other slight differences partly partly for covid and partly because this is this was a solemn occasion not well it was partly a celebration it was a celebration of his life and there were a lot of tributes paid sort of overt and subtle um to to his life and the kind of man he was but um tell us you were down at windsor for the funeral tell us you know where where were you because it was a reasonably big sort of patch if you like that was going on and what could you see and how did how did the day feel there well just quite striking in all all sense of the word i suppose um you just got this overwhelming i wouldn't say sadness it was more of a, a really reflective period because um got down i'd got down there the night before and um, just to sort of be there, really, and take it all in. And there was some people who were laying flowers that had been doing so over the over the course of the week. Um, and I was working from there, speaking to some people who had turned up. Obviously, the royal, royal family and the police had asked people not to return up. And I think largely uh, due to obviously coronavirus restrictions, most people were quite um, re- respectful of that. Um, however, the people that did turn up, we're obviously very, very respectful. There wasn't any big crowds. They just wanted to come and a lot of locals actually pay their respects and lay flowers outside the castle. And then on the Saturday morning, um, I mean, the, if, if people will have seen the pictures and the the the, the, um, the feed on television, I mean, what a day! Uh, there was not a cloud in the sky, and it just made me think of when I was uh, when I did Harry and Meghan's wedding. That that the weather for that was absolutely extraordinary as well. Um, and I'm glad actually because, like you said, there's when when the eyes of the world are upon us, we do do a bloody good job, don't we? And when the military are out in force, all the symbolism that came with it. Um, the details had emerged over the few days before the funeral of um, the Duke of Edinburgh's hand in the Land Rover that carried his coffin, um, been designing it and tinkering with it with the chaps and the engineers from Land Rover for the last <clears throat> 16 years and uh, and still still tinkering with it up until his 98th birthday, can you believe? So the little uh, periods like that. And then the night before we found out that his, um, his love of carriage riding would, would be uh, given a big tribute as well. And that was his carriage was brought in to the quadrangle. And I just love that detail about them leaving his cap, his gloves and his whip and the little box of sugar cubes that he used to take and give to the horses. I mean, that just absolutely melted me. And how good those horses, they were a hugely beautiful fell ponies with the spectacular names. They 
uh, Balmoral, Nevis and Storm. There was a, I've forgotten the other glorious pony's name, but they, you know, they were beautiful. But also, you know, we're used to seeing horses parading with the, you know, the soldiers and the, the big drum horses, you know, they're used to all of that. They, they spend all of their time with the soldiers. Those ponies, they're used to, you know, careering about Windsor Park or wherever with, with Prince Philip driving them. They're used to being out in the countryside, not having, you know, drums and soldiers and swords and you know tv cameras flying about Mm. as well so fair play to the grooms who were just you know giving them so much love and attention all through that and it sounds like lady louise is going to inherit the um the carriage and the ponies as Uh, well which is lovely yeah i love this story i think that's great and and it stands to reason doesn't it she was the only one of his great uh grandchildren who's who took it up uh, grandchildren, 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 and uh, grandchildren, and um, who, who took up the pursuit and has really taken to it, um, and was even riding on the day that he passed away on the Friday the ninth, I think it was. Now, so I, um, you know what, I, I think that it was almost no, I do, I do think it was a better occasion um, to having having a, a smaller ceremony and the procession, and it just seemed a lot more intimate and. Kind of, if it had been a bigger procession with the, the Land Rover going through the streets of London and then being driven to Windsor and all TV cameras picking it up on the route and loads of people lining the streets, I don't think the Duke of Edinburgh would have wanted that. And um, I do think this scaled-down version allowed the family to, uh, to to grieve privately, although the eyes of the world were on them. But I, I do believe it was a, a more more special occasion. Yeah, it, it did feel very sort of appropriate somehow. I've been thinking mm. about this in terms of, you know, in some ways it was more intimate because there were only 30 of them and, you know, it was only family. There weren't foreign dignitaries and the prime minister and, you know, people that people that you have to invite but you wouldn't normally. But at the same time, it was much more um, sort of stark and better. There was, there was nowhere to hide. You know, if there's 800 people there, you're not going to get. You're not going to have the camera on you much of the time. You're sort of going to get a bit, not exactly lost, because obviously, the Queen and and seeing her would always be such a, you know, sort of key and, and poignant moment. But the intensity, in some ways, of the focus on the small, you know, there was a very small number of people there. There was nowhere to hide, and it was quite. Um, so stuff. obviously we've seen the pictures of the queen having to sit alone nobody around her but i think i think the cameras and the way things were done they did afford probably as much as you can at a public funeral like that quite a lot of sort of privacy and dignity particularly for the queen in her later years you know we didn't see her sort of particularly getting in or out of the car, I don't think. There was a bit of, you know, sort of step back to allow her to deal with that and getting into her seat. We all saw her walking towards her seat, but we didn't see her sort of actually having to, you know, shuffle about Mm. and be be dignified taking her seat. And during the service, we did, there were moments when the cameras were on the members of the family, but they, they spent far more time with the music and with the, with the clergy and, with the people who were sort of performing, if you like, performing the service. It was a bit more, it, was, it wasn't exactly a concert, but it sort of was because there was no, there was no singing. 
apart from these, you know, four beautiful singers. Although I have to say, to those people who did listen last week, I did do my singing for my friend's wedding on the Zoom choir. And well it worked It worked a treat. And if I'd thought of it, I should have suggested it to the royal family. They could have had, you know, a choir of the world put together for Prince Philip. Although probably those four fabulous singers would still have sounded far, far better. But I think, you know, that sort of, it was... It was very difficult to see people within the choir with a queue, the, the wooden seats at the. Yes, yeah. Um, even though they were, you know, they're quite spread out. And well, it wasn't intrusive, was it? It was very, very no. private. And uh, of course, you would you, you saw the the instances. I mean, these images are burned in my memory the the one with the, the queen on her own, the one with the queen with her head down, so you could you couldn't see her face, you could just see her black hat um the ones with william and kate with their heads bowed i mean these are these are hugely significant iconic and historical images they will they will be remembered forevermore i mean the image of the queen on her own is just an absolute symbol of where she was in that moment of course losing her husband for 73 years life partner but also holding a mirror up to the coronavirus crisis and so many other families who have gone through the hell of saying goodbye to their loved ones alone or not even being able to attend um and in that moment i think that certainly you know the the palace senior staff who i was speaking to were saying that you know, this is it's the the family were very very acutely aware of what um, the symbolism that was being displayed, but also what other people have gone through this year. And in that moment, they were kind of sharing their grief with so many other tens of thousands of families who have gone through that. Um, and again, gosh, what I mean, just what a time! You just found yourself thinking, what a time we've had over the last year. Um, and it was a beautiful ceremony. Again, obviously had to be hugely, hugely rescheduled. Um, the Queen had to hurriedly sign off on all these new plans. I'm sure that they, they were certainly set in place throughout the coronavirus crisis. But when it comes to having to be signed off, there's, um, there's nothing like being forced into action. Um, and it was a very, very different ceremony. I mean, you just look at the nave of... St. George's uh, Chapel, which would have had 800 people in it. Um, and there was no one. There was the four from the choir with a C. Um, and I had to draft in this incredible soprano. I've forgotten her name. I thought, is it Myra? It is. I'll, I'll look it up. But it, she, I mean, she was just incredible. And all the, and all the music you get, you know, all the symbolism, the music chosen by um, Prince Philip. The bugle players, the peace action stations, which there'd been a lot made up, made out of in the days beforehand. And certainly it's a battle war cry, which is heard on a naval warship, calling people to man their battle stations. I think that the symbolism is all around. The family have been had uh, an awfully tough time over the last year. You've had controversies, infighting, warring couples uh a lot of hurtful things been 
been said on both sides, I'm sure. And uh, and this is, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm completely satisfied that it's uh, in his final days. That's a, a call to the family to say, time to sort of man the battle stations mm. now. Get back to get on with it, as as Harry and uh, and William had said in their own personal treat views. Get on with it. Get together. We know that he called Charles in for a big chat in the days as he was obviously dying and uh, his strength going. And um, and uh, the, it's it's just a hugely, hugely symbolic moment. And um, yeah, it's uh, it was a sad day, but we, a one which was really, really reflective. You know, I spoke to a lot of the Palace staff who had, work, had worked with him. I was, of course, down there on the day, but... Um, Put, put into a room next door to sort of watch a, a live stream just uh, across the way from the actual um, chapel. Um, and, you know, took the opportunity to speak to a few of the palace staff and people who worked on the estate. And, um, yeah, just a real, especially because he'd been there for the whole year. It's very strange, isn't it? Because if he'd been stuck out in Sandringham and he hadn't seen the Queen for so long, you'd uh, there may have been a bit of a different feeling. But, you know, lots of people were had seen him over the last year. The Queen. I don't think we'll really find the true toll of the on the Queen and the rest of the family for quite some time because, you know, not only has the, the Queen lost her husband 73 years, she's spent an awful lot of time with him over the past 12 months, 13 months. And uh, and um, and whereas she probably got used to not seeing him, you know, I've read that they'd go for sort of six weeks without seeing each other, although they speak quite regularly. It's very different when you're, Living cheek by jowl with someone, and uh, and and maybe you'd, you'd see Prince Philip deteriorate in that way. Um, interesting what Prince Andrew said about him. You know, his mum saying that it was a miracle. I think we discussed that last week, didn't we? Mm. But um, again, but miracle that he got back and died at home and died um, with her by his side. So uh, an awful lot to reflect with, I think. And the soprano is Miriam Allen and glorious yeah, she was it. as well. Um, speaking of Prince Andrew, um, two things. So I think, I think it did feel, I think it would have felt weird if people had been in their military costumes when there was nobody else there. And, uh, you know, I know that this was potentially a decision that was made for tact, tactful reasons rather than, um, you know, what's the word? Uh, <laughs> Present, presentational ones but you know I think it would have been it would have been an awkward thing if you had Prince Andrew all, all decked out Prince Harry not all decked out or you know Prince Andrew being told he couldn't be all decked out when other people were I don't know I mean it, it was a bit of a sideshow and on the day it didn't really matter and I thought it looked they they looked like a team because they were all they were all dressed like that they were all there to Mourn, you know. I don't think Peter Phillips would have. He'd have been in morning suit, whatever. I don't think he's got, you know, no. mil- military dress to wear. Um, and I'm just going to share. Let me just find this comment from Julie Thomas on. Um, to, so obviously, much was made as well about the sort of the arrangements of how people walked behind the coffin during the procession and who was stu- who was standing with who. Anyway, Julie says, Hi Anne, I want to say that first of all, what a lovely service for the Duke, and Duke of Edinburgh, a wonderful balance of intimacy and pomp. 
Mainly, I hope that people will think before making assumptions about the placement of Princes William, Harry, William and Harry. In the procession, it made sense for the three grandsons to walk abreast and to bookend the shortest of the three with the taller pair. When they climbed the stairs, they went in order of age. In the chapel, single Harry helped bookend Anne and Tim with single Andrew. It was all symmetrical and well-planned, as are all things British. And finally, I think many people breathed a sigh of relief to see the casual procession afterwards with the brothers engaged in conversation. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you for your lovely message, Julie. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the placement of who was sitting where inside the inside the choir was interesting as well. So you obviously had sort of Charles and Camilla directly opposite the Queen, but then Sophie was very much in the Queen's sight line. And we've talked quite a lot about how how good a friend she has been or become over her you know since she since she married Edward and that that fabulous picture that the queen shared on the eve of the funeral with her sort of own her own um memories of Prince Philip you know up up the Scottish hill looking relaxed sort of having a picnic you know again back to what we were talking about last week if they could they could be anybody's grandparents enjoying a really nice day out um that was taken by Sophie, unusually, because there's, you know, many, many of the fabulous pictures, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later on, were taken by the Duchess of Cambridge. So it was nice to, nice to see that Sophie hadn't forgotten her camera either. Although it must be odd when you sort of, you know, when you marry marry into the royal family and when do you start taking pictures of the Queen? Like, I know, do you know what I thought? Your mother-in-law. Like, when do you, how a, do you do? It, Can I just take a quick picture? <laughs> yeah, you don't sort of just whip out your iPhone and start snapping away, do you? And um, it, I, I mean, great picture. I love it's just phenomenal, isn't it? Looking so relaxed. I, when have you seen the Queen looking yeah. like that? It's just a phenomenal picture. But the, so Sophie and Edward being placed sort of up there, that put, you know, Louise was pretty much eye to eye with the coffin. So I really felt for her, like she sort of had nowhere, nowhere else to look. You're really sort of, conf- I mean, obviously you're confronted with death at a funeral, but to sort of be sitting that close to things and having it properly right in front of you, I think must be quite a, um, a full on experience really. And then obviously you had William and Kate sitting on the one side opposite Harry, the other side of the aisle. And, um, you know, sort of that, that <laughs> this time the, the gulf between them was the church. Obviously we saw, we saw them walking out um, afterwards and strolling on back up to the castle and having a, having a good old chin wag um which again i expect we'll come to in a minute but you know you're talking about the church being so or the chapel rather being so sort of stark and empty it was that moment when the coffin came in and you still had you had this glorious sunlight streaming through the windows but you've got the empty nave and that was the moment i think oh goodness back to harry and Meghan's wedding day when it was you know similarly bright and beautiful and the light that day as Meghan processed up the aisle and sort of, you know, um, all of the star studded guests all around in that, in that particular bit, the sort of the George Clooney and James Corden area down that end of the, uh, mm. that, down that end of the church, I think. Although the other thing, which um, seeing the front of the chapel, like as they went in and that being, I mean, it wasn't exactly bare because you've got soldiers lining the steps, but you didn't have the massive sort of floral arrangements that we'd seen for um, Eugenie's wedding and for, Megan and Harry's wedding but what we did have was two little false pillars with people hiding in them to take their photos this is a great story isn't it it's just so lovely that um 
you know, when you know they're so obvious that they're there and they've been put on just for the sake of, but it, it kind of reminds you of a little pillbox. It was almost like a, you know, one of those military things that you had during the Second World War, looking out to sea with your, just your little sort of letterbox shaped space to put your eyes through. Have you seen the interview with Arthur speaking about it? I haven't seen the interview. With well, Arthur you haven't seen, he, was on, he was on. Uh, he was on a TV program uh, during the week and speaking about it. When we have sort of used it online so if you haven't checked it out Arthur Edwards legendary royal snapper talking about how he's he was excuse me how he was put into a box essentially um, which had been organized by Prince Philip because Prince Philip obviously knew all the finer details of his funeral and uh and he said that you know he presumed it was him because he was a keen bird watcher Philip he had all these sort of mini hides hidden around the estate and wherever he would go up to Balmoral or Sandringham and uh, and use them to to spot birds, and he was um he was keen for the photographers to to be able to do their job properly and um and capture some of these iconic images. And I mean, some of Arthur's pictures on the day, he was in this little box for three hours. He said, and they give him a little cushion, give him a packed lunch, and uh, and stuck him in the box. Um, it's just fantastic. I've actually tweeted it. So if you go back to my tweets over the last couple of days and it's, and it's there. And I spoke to Arthur on the night before for dinner and um, he was telling me all about it and uh, hoping that it will come off. And uh, well, it really did because some of his photographs are, as usual, absolutely tremendous and a fitting, tr- fitting tribute. Prince Charles looked quite, I think we saw Sophie take her mask off as she was walking and sort of presumably blow her nose or that kind of thing or just sort of straighten herself but um prince charles was the one who i thought looked sort of most affected through well, it all. Bereft. i mean he was you know talking about stiff upper lips and not showing your emotions which i'm sure a lot of them were i mean it struck me how clenched william's jaw was the whole time and everybody really concentrating on looking forward and following the funeral cortege but but Charles was absolutely overcome with emotion, wasn't he? The t- solitary tear going running right down his left cheek. Um, again, such hugely iconic images. And I just, I, I, I take it back to his um, to his first statement when he came out talking about my dear papa. And I, I just thought, well, you know, Charles, sometimes Charles gets a rough ride in terms of people not necessarily warming to him. I mean, he's a, he is a man from a bygone era. He is the last of the old royals, isn't he? I mean, William and Harry, you know, the others don't, even Edward and um, arguably Andrew, they don't, they don't talk like him. They don't act like him. He is a, a real man from a different time. Um, and I think that, that sometimes people can't necessarily warm to his character, but certainly I thought that he spoke very eloquently when talking about the passing of his dad. Um, and no doubt that it, it rests on his shoulders now. He is now the patriarch of the family. He takes on a completely different role. Obviously, the Queen's role will change, whether I'm sure she will still be doing engagements. I don't buy the line about how she will step down, that Charles will be king in all but name. I don't think that that will happen. I think, yes, he will be doing more state occasions. He will be going on trips on behalf of the queen when we all get back to normal but uh but certainly the queen is still still the boss and she's still very very active um but i do i do think he will take on a different role within the family and we've spoken before about how queen is you know head of state the monarch the queen and 
um, Philip was always head of the family, and now that 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 role falls to Charles. So certainly, uh, the Queen will be leaning on him ever more so, as she has done over the last, you know, three, four years, five years, arguably, but definitely over the last year to do with the Andrew scandal, the um, business of Harry and Meghan leaving, how to react during the coronavirus crisis. Certainly, William has been leading the way on that, and then convinced Charles to really get front and centre with the whole social media and uh, Zoom aspect of things. Other other webcasters' video channels are available. Probably have to say that. <laughs> so I get very upset with people who aren't, who aren't Zoom. Um, but, you know, this, this, it's all part of a teamwork, isn't it? And I'm sure we'll come on to it later, but the, 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 the stuff about you know, this this summit that has been raised, whether people have seen this issue that the you know Charles and William are going to have a summit to decide. I don't think it's much of a summit. I think it's more of an open ended, regular conversation of how when we get out of the coronavirus crisis or the actual crisis moment we're in now, which hopefully won't be too long. What are we going to do? And certainly, I mean, I've been speaking about this. There's a story I wrote in December before they were all gathered on the steps, you know, the seven oh, yeah. senior yeah. members with At the, the end of William and Kate's tour. Precisely. So, you know, what are we, what are we, as in this is what they're saying, what are we going to do to move this family forward? And certainly you'll see other people taking um, a bit more of a senior role. Certainly Edward's now going to be doing something different with the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, um, which has surged in popularity after Philip's death. The actual website crashed the other day, I was told. There's so many people coming on to it. So that's going to be part of his. But Sophie Wessex is going to come in for a bigger role. Again, we've been talking about this for a while. She definitely operates under the radar. Um, but so Charles think- and William are sort of the strategy team they to are. drive things forward yeah everything will be signed off to by the queen but they're the two they're the two heirs right so things are going to look very very different in the next couple of decades aren't they so it's uh, it's about laying the foundations now and trying to get rid of an awful lot of the distractions is how it was put to mm-hmm. me getting rid of those distractions of the one-to-way couple which has obviously been a distraction the distraction of prince andrew's controversial dealings with Jeff Epstein, which which are not going to go away. Nobody's abandoning them, but they are very much being dealt with as a private matter that is up to Andrew to face his obligations, as he said he would, and speak to the FBI and US investigators. And no doubt that will happen at some stage. I'm not too sure how. But in terms of what are we doing running the business of the monarchy, William and Charles are front and centre with that, and there's going to be some big changes afoot. Talking about the sort of um, the weight on Charles or him, the sort of, you know, transfer of this role as head of the family, essentially kind of to him. I think the difference, you know, Philip and the queen were able to share, you know, she ran, she she is the monarch and Philip was, was head of the um, head of the family. Whereas as, and when it does come to Charles, you would have to assume that both of those roles are his. You know, he will be head of the family yes, and yes. running, you know, running the show. So it will be, a, it will be, it will be a different kind of partnership and a different way of, of doing, doing things as and when that day comes, thankfully it is not here yet. We'll hope that that day is a long way 
a long way hence. Although, but I think that you know Charles and William are very much aligned on certain things. And again, speaking to several people, they're saying that these two are very, very aligned on the direction of uh, of uh, where to go. Who will have different certain roles? And certainly, this was an issue when Harry and Meghan were on the scene because they were wanting to do things that other members of the family were doing. And now it's about sort of cutting out that competition aspect of it and cut it, cutting out that rivalry because, again, it's all noise. And if you can all be pulling in the same direction, then it will just work a lot better for everybody involved. And it's about harmony. And if they can try and strike the right note, then uh, without the Sussexes on the, on, the, on the team, then those distractions are gone. And, uh, and, and hopefully they can get back to some form of normality, which is all what we want, don't we? We want to be going on tours and we want to see them going on to the Commonwealth and going, doing, you know, big um, issues like Sophie Wessex has been doing. I'm sure there's going to be an awful lot more spotlight raised on her work with the UN, with girls' education and things like that. Um, because arguably, Megan, when Megan arrives on the scene, not that, Sophie was really getting applauded, unfortunately, for what she was doing. But she's been doing that for an awful long time. So it wouldn't surprise me if that really comes to the fore now because it, it's, bit, it works for both parties, doesn't it? A bit more light on her. So to, we speak, spoke a bit about um, pictures Arthur Edwards had taken from his little hidey hole. Our good friend Ian Vogler was there as well. And one of the, he got a sort of fairly striking picture of William and, and Harry as they were in the procession going in. And obviously there was a lot of eyes on on them and how they were going to be during a procession is clearly not the time to be to be having a little chat and making friends again. But afterwards, um, whether this was whether this was Kate, whether this was natural, whether this was planned, whether this was show, who knows? But the, I mean, Kate looked absolutely fabulous, like the Queen's pearl choker and her, um, you know, her fabulous hairdo. I love it when Kate has an updo. But then, to be fair, everybody was beautifully turned out in their sort of different different styles and all in such stark black on a sunny day it was quite um quite striking really but anyway as they they came out because you know it seemed like the plan originally had been for everybody to get in cars back up the hill but clearly it was such a nice sunny day it was thought we'll have a have a walk instead and you know you had Kate and Kate chatting away with Harry while William was saying his thanks to to the clergy as they were leading the leaving the um, leaving the church, and then that sort of naturally carried on of William rejoining them and having a bit of a chat, and then and then Kate, you know, it's that it's that moment when you're trying to set up your two mates, and you're like, oh, sorry, I've forgotten, I've got to go to the cinema, and then you leave your two mates there to get together with your <laughs> secret plot that you've been hatching all along. Kate's like, oh, I must just go talk to Sophie as she got back <laughs> a few steps, and William and Harry um, chat away as they walk up the hill. So you know, clearly things are, you know, they're never going to go back to how they were but hopefully this might have been a small start You've got to start somewhere. maybe i mean yes you, you do have to start somewhere don't you and uh certainly there have been a little bit of foundations um you know done a story today uh which is being widely read about uh prince harry had written written to his father before coming over to uh to, to his grandpa's funeral which i think again was trying to lay the foundations for the for the big meet because obviously he was fa- f- um, facing his family for the first time in more than a year um, 
and certainly possibly speaking to a lot of them for the first time since the Oprah Winfrey interview. And then there have been several reports saying that he had such a, a frosty reception when he came back. Um, it probably didn't go according to plan. But certainly, um, you know, my understanding is that both Charles and William are still very, very hurt by the uh, what was said in that Oprah Win- Winfrey interview. And it will be a long way back. But then, as you rightly say, it was, I mean, um, a picture... A, several pictures told the story didn't they that they sort of saddled up to Kate and then um, had a little bit of a word with her William speaking to the Dean of Windsor and then as the cars get waved off they start walking up the hill in order to get back to the castle where the state apartments where they gathered afterwards and um, and certainly he sort of engineered his way in uh, into the middle of them and then Kate sort of played a masterstroke by just hanging back now listen I think that it definitely was. It was definitely wasn't the right time to be having the big, big conversations that will no doubt need to be had. They both agreed to part their feelings for um, for uh, for the duration of the lead up to the funeral and beyond. And um, and unfortunately, I don't think Harry will have time to really have those other conversations. The Cambridges have gone back to London. Charles was keen to see Harry again, but was told, you know there wasn't really time in the schedule because Harry was getting back to California. That's why Charles has gone to Wales uh, for a bit of solitary time. He's, he's staying at his place in Wales, still carrying on his grieving, but but getting back to the work essentially. So there's so many moving parts, isn't it? And it's, and it, you know, it just wasn't the right time. I think for a lot of people, that's how it was described to me. It just wasn't the right time. Um, it's still very, very raw. You know, we have to really think, Sometimes when I'm speaking to people, I have to think back to what my initial reaction was when I saw that interview and my jaw was on the floor. I mean, I just thought there is no way back for these two now. They have launched so many grenades off here that the damage is potentially irreversible. Never say never, right? Because there's obviously a lot of hurt on their side. They felt they were, they were badly treated. Certainly Megan has cause um, to feel that if she feels that she didn't get the, the, the correct help or indeed any help when she was, when she was uh, telling them about her mental health struggles when pregnant. And that's really, really concerning. But I think that the, the, you know, the family do want to try and seek a resolution, but whether that will be um, agreeable by but, or where both parties want to be, I I can't see it as yet. I think there's there's an awful lot that needs to happen there. But you know, encouraging scenes. Um, certainly, other other members of the family do want the brothers to take the opportunity to do that. Um, whether it happens, I mean, I think it's a bit of a slow burner. So obviously. Um... We, you know, a couple of listeners have got in touch and said, you know, why is it okay for it to be leaked that Harry wrote this letter? And if the Sussex, you know, if it, the Sussexes are speaking out, they get absolutely hammered. But then this gets, you know, sort of leaked out there. And there's all all this sort of, I don't know, the obviously you and I are journalists and we like to know what's going on and share it if we find share it if we find out. But I think there is that sort of how. Every, everything is perceived rightly or wrongly through this two sides of the the sort of the PR war on things now. Is that a fair sort of assessment, Russell? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, listen, this is, what were you saying? You were saying about uh, 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 the fact that you can't get... War. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, I don't Harry want to use that Meghan language, hammered, but... Harry and Meghan get hammered for saying anything, but then there's leaks that come out from from the royal family side, or there is sort of insight into or understanding well, you know of what, what does both royal sides, isn't it? Because, you know, Harry and Meghan don't need to publish photographs of them attending a war memorial. They don't need to do that. They're arguably why they're doing that. I get, I get why because of the whole issue of stop playing a wreath wasn't couldn't come back to attend the cenotaph. They weren't, and so therefore that's the way they think they should do it. But why do we need to know that Megan was getting up at seven a.m. to watch a live stream? Why do we need to know that Megan sent a handwritten note? You know, they didn't. They wouldn't want to be part of it. They didn't want to be part of it. So you know, all the other. No, no I think it's. No, I mean, think hear me out. Hear me out a second. All right. You know, you know, you know, all the other um, royal families around the around Europe, and all the other patronages. None of those, to my knowledge, were releasing press releases about the fact that they'd sent commemorative flowers or written to the Queen. Um, the reason why we found out that the Queen had spoken to the Governor General of Australia or the Prime Minister of Canada is because those instances were logged as official business in the um, court, court circular. circular. So we don't need to know uh, that a private citizen, if that's what they want to be, have sent um, their commemorative wreaths. But, in, but we do know about it because Megan's team... We're leaking those details. So is it... Are they not damned if they do, damned if they don't? Because otherwise it's like, well, how how has has Megan been doing anything? Or, you know, how how has she marked it? Yeah, that's Um, the So there's that. But I think it's also that whole, you know, Gail King sharing, you know, the outcome of the conversations and getting hammered for it versus other, you know, the other side sharing somehow what, what went on on their side. But... I think, I don't know, when you're in that kind of role, I, there are things about the royal family that remind me quite a lot of football and um, the transfer window when you've got like <laughs> agent, agents are sharing like little bits of, of information and the clubs are sharing little bit. you know, there's little bits of information and everybody does have an end. They do have their own end, end goal in, in things. And yeah, it's, it's not a bad analogy. It's a good one because everybody's all out for themselves. In the in, in the game, aren't they? And so maybe that's a little bit of it sometimes. And when one is feeding the one side, then the other is, I think, you know. And that's when you've got, to a certain extent, you know, if you if you're all on the same side, then it's less of a problem. But once there's a rift develops, then it then you do end up in this this kind of a pickle. Anyway, let's talk yeah. about nicer things now, that's because, um, so I, the funeral I thought was interesting because. Um, in some ways it was in some ways it was very personal because they were the choices of the Duke of Edinburgh. But I was thinking about it, it's like, what what is there is something for me that is missing from this funeral. And it is that thing that you get when, you know, you go to a funeral of a loved one or a friend and somebody will give a eulogy or, or even the sort of the priest or whoever whoever's conducting the service will share um, you know share stories of that person's life and you will learn something new about that person and often even though it's a sad occasion it will make you laugh you will be sure. brought 
you will come together through that sort of shared love and appreciation of different aspects of that person's life but royal ceremonial funerals and prince philip didn't want a sermon you know a sermon or a, a eulogy so apparently that's not that's not a kind of a standard thing and i was thinking about it some more and in some ways the stories of his life you know we'd sort of been doing all of that all through all through the week um you know all the extra bits and pieces learned through arthur and his sort of bird hides if you like with the with the photos but that i think for me was one of the things that were mi- was missing but i think we got quite a lot of that in the preceding days a sense of who he was as a person which i think you know anybody who listened to our previous um episode will know that that's that's the bit of it that i'm a, i'm a bit obsessed by more than this sort of you know the the dignitary and the, the consort and the the public figure but what he is like as a husband father grandfather great grandfather and the pictures that the royal family chose to share and I'm you know I'm sure loads of people will will know that feeling of someone dies and you'll go back through the album partly because you might want to get some pictures together for the funeral or for the wake or what have you but and also just to know you know what what were those moments and remember the remember the happy times that you shared and the pictures that were shared I just think were absolutely stonking were there any particular ones that stood out for you Russell during the week well, yeah, the, the royal family's sort of set. I mean, I, so you've got... The oh, I love one, the one of them playing polo in night. I, lo- I love the, all the old... Oh, Charles photos. and Philip. 1966, Charles that was taken. Um, I There were so many great images. I mean, I loved I loved all the tributes on the, uh, on the newspapers. There was one in the Times of the Telegraph, which was a great shot of him riding a bicycle back in, like, the 70s. Uh, color of a, it was a colored photograph. I mean, some of the ones that the family shared, um, just that one of the ones with all the great grandchildren, or there was <sighs> seven, seven, seven of the great grandchildren. There's yeah. how many of them now? Nine. So it was um, minus so Archie and minus um, the, the very, very, and, very, and, and minus August. and Eugenie's baby. Yeah, August. Yeah, so there's ten, isn't there? Gosh, so yeah. so there was, you know, I just love that. And although it's a print- brilliant picture. I mean, and again, it, it, it reminds me of one that like my cousins and my brothers and sister and I took with took with my grandparents. You know, you're sort of crammed in on the sofa, and there's all of the all of the grandfather grandparents' living room sort of clutter and stuff behind you. Like Prince George stood bolt upright in his little. Does Prince George have short. another? Does he have another top? I mean, he's always <laughs> wearing this top. And well, I no, but I expect you know. Have we seen other pictures from this particular? Um, set well maybe. no and, and, and princess know. charlotte being all just like hi with a little it's red got shoes so much sass so much, so sass. much sass and the, even at that first um the picture that was shared um when she was a little tiny baby again the prince george's sweater again i'm pretty sure that's a sweater that we have seen before so um the picture of kate holding baby princess charlotte in her little blue bonnet looking across at the queen and the Super queen is cute. looking like you know, looking with adoration at this little baby, and the Charlotte is sort of a bit like I don't know what what you can't quite see the expression on her face, but she is quite engaged by the Queen in some ways. So it looks a bit like, who are you? Why are you looking at me like this? I mean, like, just oh, they'll be looking it. looking back on these pictures when they're older, to, old enough to know what what's going on um, with some fondness. There's some just some great images. I just liked. Um, 
What else? Did I, I just, I love that. I love. I just can't get over the one at Balmoral, the one that Ca- the Cavs Wessex took. It's just such a really relaxed portrait, and it's very, it's a very, very rare you get those um, instances where you're. The, the the window to their world is mm. opened, and they look so so relaxed, and very and very think, telling that that's that that that's where the Queen obviously has some hugely hugely happy memories. I mean, she's called one of the dogs Mick after Lock Mick, um, in Barrymore, where that picture was taken. Yeah, the puppies, the puppies that she's taking out for walks with the family, she and is. you know. The other one um, that I think is really sort of striking and un- really quite unusual as well is the one Mike Tyndall shared, which again was taken by the Duchess of Cambridge, which is, you know, Mia hanging out with her great granddad. I'm not quite sure. You can't quite see what he's chopping up for her. It looks like they've got little glasses, probably of Coca-Cola or something. And some, you know, Prince Philip almost looks like he's got his mouth full. And, you know, there's all, the, I think he's got a little, he's got a little tankard of beer on the side as well. But it's sort of a very natural action shot. They've just been caught, Kate's caught them in their sort of private world of great granddaughter chatting, chatting with great grandpa. He's probably explaining to her how to, I don't know, chop up a piece of ham or whatever he's doing. But um, or it's, she's quizzing him about the world or something. But, you know, there's, do you hear the, the stories when you, you know, when you, when you're growing up, if the queen ever comes for tea, you mustn't feed a sweet corn. You mustn't feed a corn on the cob or spaghetti bolognese. Cause they're two <laughs> things that nobody can ever eat elegantly, but you don't tend, you know, you don't tend to see pictures of the queen and Prince Philip eating. It's not, you know, it's, it is difficult to eat in a, Elegant fashion, but this like is such Miliband a. Ed Miliband and his bacon, uh, his bacon sandwich. Oh yes, <laughs> if you're not familiar with Ed Miliband and the bacon sandwich, then it became a whole. Google it. Um, a, Google it. It became a whole a whole thing uh, during an election campaign. Um, but I just think it's such a sort of quiet, natural, lovely, um, really lovely moment, and a, a really nice sort of tribute from Mike Tindall as well. Saying it's been a very sad week, but it's given us time to reflect on great memories and stories both personal and shared, a devoted family man who we will forever miss, but always love. And I think that's, you know, a very, a very fitting message. Um, so I think the, the battle stations sort of uh, call that you mentioned, the, the, the sort of two striking bits of music, I mean, there's so many striking bits of music, but the, the piper gradually sort of walking away with the lament and that, fading out it was i found it quite sort of reminiscent of um you know almost prince all those pictures that we saw of prince philip's back as he sort of waved his way off from his final um yes his final public engagement yeah but then also having that sort of action stations call because a funeral it is about it's about saying goodbye it is about remembering with love and then it is also about being able to start to you know, it, it's part of that process and start to move on to what is next. You've, you've completed a part of that, you know, there's, I mean, there's so much more to do in sort of grieving and dealing with life without the person that you've lost, but getting through the funeral to the end of it marks mm. the start of a new phase. So the action, that sort of action stations call of like, you know, the Prince Philip sort of no fuss, there's work to be done. Let's get on with it type flavor. And you know, the, the Queen, it's her birthday tomorrow in our space-time continuum, Wednesday. Yeah. And I think, you know, anybody who has lost somebody will know that feeling of, 
the first, you know, first birthday or first Christmas or first anniversary or the birthday of your loved one. And then the answer of the anniversary of their death, those kind of moments which resonate. And this one has come around so, you know, so quickly for her. So there is, um, you know, I'm sure it will be a, a strange day, but certainly it sounds like the family are very much making plans that, you know, she will, she will have people with with her. Yeah, yeah, not be when, alone as and when she needs to. Yeah. yeah, not be alone is how it was said to me because it's obviously, gosh, they feel such a uh, a responsibility. The Queen is always, as as Sophie Wessex said in the aftermath of uh, of Philip's death, was being amazing and typically thinking of others rather than herself. Um, And so, yes, they have formed this unofficial rotor to make sure that they're all checking in on her. And obviously Anne and uh, Sophie live closest by, so they will be part of her first visiting party as well as Andrew, um, Eugenie and uh, and baby August, I'm told. But obviously the Queen will need support. And it's up for the other members of the family to, to really come together and give her that support. And, and I'm sure they will do over the coming weeks. Um, certainly, there will be, uh, we will see the Queen, whether it's on Zoom or out, out and about, um, because she does want to get back to work. The, the official mourning period finishes on Thursday. I would imagine things are already being put in place for her diary after then. Um, there are some engagements coming up I can't tell you about but watch this space because um i think it's very much the order of the day coming back to prince philip's last wishes talking about how you just got to get on with it we know that from the boys saying that in his tribute in the tributes to him and certainly uh it's really um about the family pulling together now and we've been speaking about this for a few months even before prince philip was ill and sadly departed that uh, that it's about a new dawn and it's about putting to bed the last year which has been very difficult for everybody but arguably they've had a really tough time as well with the infighting and whatnot so they need to come together there's already plans for them to be working with each other which is really encouraging um i've told been told so he's got two projects she wants to work with the queen on which is great uh, we saw them coming together for World Sight Day for one of Sophie's patronages last year. And I think this will be a bit more of an indication of what we're going to see. So, yeah, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me if you see a few, a couple of them turning up on engagements with each other. And uh, and certainly that's that'll be the order of the day to, to hit the ground running as soon as possible. Prince William's already got stuck into, I mean, it's fair to say that Prince Philip dominated the news for 10 days and now there is an entirely different story about a massive institution and much loved thing in our country, which is the football. Um, So Prince William has got stuck into the row and it's a tweet signed off with W. So we know that this is a William a William tweet in his role as president president of the FA. Uh, now more than ever, we must protect the entire football community from the top level to the grassroots and the values of competition and fairness at its core. I share the concerns of fans about the proposed Super League and the damage it risks causing to the game we love. So if you're not a football fan, this is about the top, well, the supposed big six... The once or upon soccer. a time, soccer for soccer. The, once, the once upon a time big six um, who want to go away, make their own European Super League, only play the other 
so-called big clubs. I mean, we could call it the has-beens league, couldn't we, Russell? Because West Ham are higher up than some of these clubs. We are. We are so high. We're, we're getting headaches. I mean, so just to give you a quick bridge version, the top four teams in England go in something called, qualify for a tournament called the Champions League. And sometimes you can get sort of lowly teams like Leicester, who won the Premier League into it and they just, you know, it's great for them because they're not used to reaching the dizzy heights that people like or teams like Manchester United or Liverpool uh, or like Arsenal, big team in London who have been used to playing in those tournaments. But these greedy six have tried to split away with some teams from Spain and Italy uh, to create a 12-team tournament and that you can't get kicked out of the founder members can never founder, get relegated you can never get from. relegated you can if you're in it you're in it and that's just an absolute joke because arguably three of the teams that are coming from england have uh, have no business because they're b- behind teams like my team west ham who have been typically the struggled the mighty West Ham, they've typically struggled for so long and it's all about competition isn't it so um yeah, I can tell you this because it's happened this afternoon and we're going to go out tonight. So William, as, as his role as head of, his president of the Football Association in, the, in England, he has reacted with absolute fury about this. And like you just read his, uh, his tweet out, well, he called an emergency meeting with the CEO of the FA today. And, uh, and he's basically said, listen, we have to protect our national game at all costs. And the reason why this is so important is because when you're playing in like a league like the Premier League or the Champions League, that money doesn't all go to the teams that are in it. It filters down throughout the leagues. And that will be from your top, tip team, top, top teams to your jumpers for goalpost teams in the, uh, in the parks around the country, your grassroots football, which is where it all begins, isn't it? And if you take money out of the game that way, then you're not going to find the Lionel Messi's and the... Cristiano Ronaldo's or the Wayne Rooney's of the future and that is what um, William is really really interested in and really invested in and so he is trying to stop this in its tracks like a lot of other people and I think when you get an issue like this as united football fans from such passionately rival teams then uh, you know something's seriously seriously wrong with it. So he, he, on this front, he has definitely listened to the battle stations uh, cry. Maybe he Prince has. Philip knew something that we knew something that we didn't. But certainly, there is always a good a good fight to be had when there is something to stand up for. Um, Russell, thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you. Lovely forward, to see you. Look forward to seeing you again. Um, and listeners, thank you for joining us as well. I hope you were able to um, enjoy some peace and reflection as you watched um the funeral on oh just a quick one yes go on a quick one i didn't mention camilla's shout out to the duke of edinburgh which i thought was really really sweet because if she got her reading room on instagram if you haven't checked that out make sure you check it out and it's going from strength to strength and she's using her sort of online book club to uh to recommend all the books that she loves to read and she um and she made a tribute to the duke of edinburgh said from one uh, from one avid reader to another you know someone who who taught her a lot about being well read as well and shared her passion then she recommended some books uh, that he had recommended to us. And I think that's really important. And if you haven't checked out, it's on Instagram. And um, very, very sweet tribute. 
Well, the other thing that we didn't mention, well, maybe maybe it was polite not to mention it, was um, you got quite a lot of the funeral guests right last week. But as one of our no, listeners I, pointed out, no, we did, did we did Germans. I mean, we God, did basically forget about field. the Germans. And well, to it, be fair, nobody saw that coming. I think that. <laughs> I mean, you, nobody, now we're definitely. I, nobody this can sounds like football. Them football yeah. uh, football commentary of the past um but yes so no prince and princess michael of kent no duchess of gloucester no duchess of kent at the um and and no archie the um the duke of edinburgh's private secretary although the scene the well, household the archie household was, were walking in the procession um and seeing the, to come in seeing the chefs with their with their black armbands on i thought that was really interesting as well it was sweet wasn't it i mean there was great. So many instances you can talk. I think we'll be talking about it for a long time. For a long time, but yes. Let us know. Let us know your your favourite or you know the bits of the funeral that really resonated with you. I think that that would be really nice. I did just want to mention the German members of um, Prince family um, before we finish, though, because I just thought um, you know the fact that they hadn't been able to attend the funeral. But now, not the funeral, the wedding. The, fun, the wedding, sorry, the wedding, yeah. Because yeah. of the anti-German sentiment after well, it was a lovely touch. war, I mean, again. and the fact that they were definitely represented there this time. So, you know, and yeah, it's important. It is important to represent both sides of the family. So it was yeah. great that they were able to come, um, particularly given these unusual circumstances in which we are all living. But um, battle stations, everybody. There are there are fights to be had and good things to do. And I expect Russell's probably got some more words words to write for newspapers um, and <laughs> the and the website. So do stay in touch with us. We are at PodSave on Twitter and Instagram. You can get our royal newsletter every day if you sign up at www.mirror.co.uk slash email. Um, so mirror.co.uk slash email to get our royal newsletter. Um, and we'll be back again next week because the morning period will be or the sort of the royal the national mourning period has ended and the royal mourning period will be ending later this week. Um, uh, William has already started getting back to work and getting stuck into what is going on and we look forward to seeing what does the royal family do next. We wish uh, we wish Her Majesty a very well ha- not a happy birthday. It probably won't be a happy birthday, but we send her warm wishes on the occasion of her birthday. And we look forward to um, joining you again very soon, listeners. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and pod save the Queen.